five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Listen, it's a really complicated environment. Claire Drake, dean of, mm-hmm. you know, coaching, uh, the the smartest, nicest, most fatherly, wisest coach I've ever known in my life, right? Like Claire Drake, he's all things good. Everything about him There's was good. There's nothing, right. you know, and, and from his wisdom came 20 awesome coaches. Yeah. So anyway, his thing was, he, Ken Hitchcock told me this, he said, Claire Drake would say, a coach's job is to get a player to a place where he can't get himself. Okay, so let's break that down. Mm-hmm. So you got a player, and he's a pretty good player, but he's comfortable at a certain level. And the coach says, oh, no, 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 there's a lot more here. I can get you to play way better. So I have to get him to this place. So how am I doing that? Well, I probably have to break him out of his comfort zone. Sure. Okay, so now let's define that. How are we breaking players out of comfort zones? Well, there's probably a lot of ways to do it. Hey there, and welcome to episode 26 of Sports and More, the podcast. Really excited that you have uh, joined us once again, and we're going to have a lot of fun with Mark Spector of Rogers Sportsnet, also an author of Road to Gold, the untold story of Canada at the World Juniors. It's a really awesome book. It's in stores now. Great Christmas present, great stocking stuffer. It is really, really cool. So we're going to talk about that with Spec. We're obviously, as you just heard, going to talk about coaching. Um, we conducted this interview Monday night. Uh, so there's not going to be any talk about Mark Crawford, uh, who has uh, been put on leave um, as of now, just after 5 p.m. on Tuesday night from the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, but we will get into the reckoning, uh, the sort of Me Too movement that's going on in uh, NHL arenas and uh, homes and, and everything. It's just a, an ugly, unfortunate scene. But uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can get me on Twitter at Duck Millard. On Instagram, we're at Sports and More Podcast. On Facebook, it's at Sports and More 35. You can email us, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com, and you'll want to do that. Uh, for our Acme Meat Market Trivia a little bit later on. And uh, for all your needs, when it comes to podcasts, head to Podcast Alley at podcastalley.ca. You can also phone, leave me a message, or text the show now. 1-780-803-1555. Give us a call. Leave me a message. Send me a text. Let me know what you think of the interview, what you think of the show. 
So Mark Spector is um, our guest today. Our top three on Sports and More Live was uh, NFL teams that will have a new head coach next year. Ron Rivera fired today by the Carolina Panthers. Also, John Hines fired by the New Jersey Devils in the NHL. So bad day uh, for the coaching profession and um, a tough look for the coaching profession right now in hockey. It's unfortunate that a lot of coaches are being painted with the same brush. I, I hope I'm not doing that, but there are some guys that should be scared out there for sure. Uh, As mentioned, Podcast Alley is where you can check out all your great podcast needs. Last week's episode of this show with Jason Strudwick is available, as is every episode. Uh, Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs will join me on the Cannabis 101 podcast tomorrow. Really looking forward to that conversation. And uh, the Prospects Baseball Show up in the air uh, this week. We're trying to uh, figure out when we might be able to record that. All right, we're going to talk about the World Juniors with Mark Spector. I want to tell you something that we have going on. It's called Top 6 Big 6 World Junior Championship Style. It starts December 16th on Sports and More Live on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. Uh, You can listen to that at www.12OunceSportsRadio.com. So a gift card a day from Pro-Am Sports will be up for grabs. You could shop online. You can hit their store in Edmonton, but what we're looking for is a contest. So we're going to do six countries, Canada, the U.S., Russia, Sweden, Finland, Czech Republic. We want to know three forwards, two defensemen, and a goalie from each country that have world junior cred. I don't care about guys and what they did in the NHL. This is strictly what they did at the world junior level. If your one is picked, you'll receive a gift card from Pro-Am Sports, and you can shop online, or as mentioned, in their store. All right, we'll have the Acme Meat Market trivia question coming up after the interview with Mark Spector, a gift card from Acme Meat Market up for grab. Check them out at acmemeatmarket.ca. Your hint is books. So keep that in mind as we get to know Mark Spector a little bit more. Time for the bio. Mark Spector was born in Edmonton and grew up in the West End. Unlike most writers who attend journalism school, he didn't. While attending the University of Alberta, he started working for CJSR, the campus radio station. Eventually, he was hired by the Gateway, the campus newspaper, and his journalism career began. He took a summer job at the Edmonton Journal in 1987 that led to a 15-year stint before he became the national reporter at the National Post. After nine years on the national beat, he was hired by Rogers Sportsnet, where he's celebrating his 10th year. He also had a stint on the then Team 1260 hosting the Mark Spector Show. He has covered Stanley Cups, Grey Cups, Super Bowls, World Series, and Olympics, among other things, and he's written two books, The Battle of Alberta and Just in Stores Now, Road to Gold, The Untold Story of Canada at the World Juniors. Spec, great to see you uh, in uh, Podcast Alley here, and uh, great to chat with you. I had a lot of fun uh, working in the media, hanging out at uh, Morning Skates, and uh, even yeah. uh, being on the radio with you, so it's good to have you aboard here. Yeah, pleasure to be here, man. Good to see you. No, uh, thank you. Uh, people may not realize, uh, Morning Skates are really boring, and it's a, you know as much as we're there figuring out what's going on that night, there's a lot of socializing and hanging out. Those are some of my fond yeah. memories of just hanging out with guys at the rink, telling stories, talking about hockey, talking about life. Yeah, and morning skates are where you get all your 
like socializing and you sit and watch a practice and they're all the same. Yeah. There's very little to learn. Once you figure out who's playing goal that night, once you figure out what the lines are, that's it. Mm -hmm. So you do have a chance to kibitz with all the press people and maybe some management types or whoever's around the stands. But then you go in the room and the players are loose. And that's the time, like a lot of, a lot of teams now, you know, the morning skate didn't make that much sense, Dino, right? That's right. We're, we're have a game tonight. So we're going to get all our guys up early. We're going to get them to the rink. We're going to make them put all their gear on and have a big sweat and a workout and then play a game later that night. Like, I think the doctors are saying, what are we doing this for? Mm. Well, they started it because they didn't want, they wanted to get their guys at the rink early in the morning. So maybe they wouldn't be out all night. Well, a lot well, of no, teams no. did. No, you're halfway right. Okay. They knew they were out all night. <laughs> so they had okay. to get them to the rink in the morning to get sweated out. They right. go home, they get a nap in, they're ready to play at night. So yeah. that's why it started. Cause the guys, those days are over. Yeah. Different player now. Different player now. They barely ever, like the guys, half the guys on the team don't even drink and, and I'll be honest with you, I heard someone, I won't name a name, but someone told me these kids, you know, they after the game, they drink their kale shake and they, they're they so health conscious that when they do drink, they got nothing. Yeah. They're three beers in and they're done. Passed out on the plane or <laughs> yeah, something right. like that. Like it's not like the old days, yeah. right? Where Kenny Danico, you better put down the whole two for it because the case isn't going to be enough for those well, old yeah. Jersey Devils. Yeah, the <laughs> times have uh, changed from... You know, players don't come to training camp to get in shape anymore, no, right? You have all those informal skates and, um, you know, the hockey world, uh, the culture is changing and, and you know, we've seen shifts. Um, we saw some hazing scandals, um, you know, years ago and hopefully that's yep. out of the game now. We're seeing another movement. I, I kind of liken it to the, remember the Me Too movement in the yeah. entertainment. Now Much hockey like players that. are coming out and speaking out and listen, Rachel, racial slurs have no place anywhere in not just yeah. sports in life yeah. and, and intimidation and the power moves that some coaches, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush, but that type of coaching is done. Yeah, I think it is. It is for sure. And it should be, um, listen, it's a really complicated environment. Claire Drake, Dean of, mm -hmm. you know, coaching, uh, the, the, smartest, nicest, most fatherly, wisest coach I've ever known in my life, right? Like Claire Drake, he's all things good. Everything about him There's was good. There's nothing, right. you know, and, and from his wisdom came 20 awesome coaches. Yeah. So anyway, his thing was, he, the, Ken Hitchcock told me this. He said, Claire Drake would say, a coach's job is to get a player to a place where he can't get himself. Okay, so... Let's break that down. Mm -hmm. So you got a player and he's a pretty good player, but he's comfortable at a certain level. And the coach says, oh, no, 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 there's a lot more here. I can get you to play way better. So I have to get him to this place. So how am I doing that? Well, I probably have to break him out of his comfort zone. Sure. Okay, so now let's define that. How are we breaking players out of comfort zones? Well, there's probably a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. And in you know the older times... Uh, you broke him out in a very crude fashion of his comfort zone and, and in, in a very uncomfortable fashion. And I think we would frown upon a lot of those practices. But in the end, if you're telling me that, you know, it, it, the pendulum swings, right? And we're at that point now, I'm starting to see some guys coming up just in the last few days. And look, there's a lot of really valid complaints and there's a lot of bad coaches and guys that did some bad things. Mm -hmm. But there's also some guys that were saying like, well, that coach was mean to me. Well, you know what? Yeah. 
because he's trying to get you to a place where you weren't getting yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, if we take away the ability to make the player uncomfortable, do we ever get that player, as the great Claire Drake said, to that place? I don't know if we can. Maybe we can. I'm yeah, sure. well, I, I think there's, uh, you know, certainly the days of, um, the military style breaking down a player and building back up; those are gone. That like, doesn't that have doesn't, to happen. That doesn't fly anymore. It doesn't have to happen. You can sit there and say, "Hey, player X, you threw a pizza pie up the middle and it cost us a goal, and you can get on and you could tear a strip off that guy, you that or you too. could push a guy to make him player, and you don't have to make it personal. You don't have to make it demeaning. You don't have to certainly make it physical. Sure." You know, there, there's a lot of good coaches out there, as Claire Drake, uh, his resume attests to. He can make a player better without making that player feel demeaned. Right. Oh, that's the great skill. That's, that's, that's where the, it is. Yeah. Here's the problem, pal. There's a thousand coaches. Yeah. They're not all Claire Drake. That's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not all Dave King. Yeah. Right. They're not all, you know, even Glenn Sather, uh, who who's probably was a little cruder than those other two guys at points. Mm -hmm. But certainly you know, exhibited the ability to take really good players and make them even better. Yeah. And, and listen, um, I, I don't like that whole boys will be boys and, you know, because there was things that were done back in the day that were wrong. And, and, but at the time people didn't think that way. Right. What we have to do is think that way now and say, sure. this is not acceptable and this is not acceptable and this is not right. acceptable and, while still not taking you know you you can't just let the players like it, it's a fine line for well, a this coach. is this is the pendulum right? right it swings now from a place where it should swing back from the days when physical abuse mental abuse so stupid things mm -hmm. like chris jellio said yeah. uh on the spit and chicklets podcast yeah. uh, he's gonna get sat out in that outdoor yeah. game mike babcock they're going back to chicago for the wrigley field outdoor game Winter Classic, and Mike Babcock wants to sit Chelly in Chicago, his town where he played for years. A 21-year veteran. 21-year veteran. I mean, come on. He sat Jason Spezza, his first game yeah. in Toronto. Family was in the stands. Like, that's just... Mike Badano, he sat in Detroit, and he finished one game shy of 1,500. Right. You know, this, the, the, there's no need for mm. that. That doesn't... There's no... You know, we're not doing that to, to make anyone better. Yeah, how does that how does that make right. a person that much better? Like he he played Chris Chelios in that game. The one shift. One shift. Like played and that's an F U to management and to yeah. Chelios yeah. by Mike Babcock. Yeah, and and you know, that to me, like if if I'm hearing that and I'm a general manager, I don't want to coach like that. No. I don't want to coach like well, I need to be able to direct my coach to an extent. I don't need to tell him to set how set up his lines every day. That's the coach's job. Mm -hmm. But when I say to a coach, look, this player needs to play, he better listen. He's my employee. I'm the boss when I'm yeah. the GM. And if you're telling me that this coach doesn't listen to his boss, well, he's not working for me. Yeah. What's the point? There's got to be a, a working relationship. And, you know, even like Ken Hitchcock last year came in um, at whatever time in November. And, you know, there were there were times where the, the players did not like him uh, yeah, during probably. the season and, and didn't want him there. The one thing I will say about Ken Hitchcock is he, he had a great quote last year where he said, you know, a player when you tell them to go do something, they're not just doing it anymore. They want to know why. And yeah. and for me, that showed that Ken Hitchcock, as an older school coach, was, you know, whether he was relating to the players or not, but he saw what has to happen now. Right. Players aren't just blindly doing things anymore. Sometimes they want to know why. And if you can't explain it to them why, then why would they buy into you? Well, that's right. And you know what? Give Hitchcock credit. We And all these guys, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of talk about Dave Tippett. 
Oh, he's coming into the order. So they're going to have to give up some offense. Mm -hmm. Connor McDavid might only be a 95-point guy this year, folks. So just get ready for that, right? And we people sold Dave Tippett short on on the fact that he's you know he recognizes that you got to let those particular horses run. Ken Hitchcock spent summer after summer after summer at coaching clinics and symposiums and and going way out of his way to stay current. Mm-hmm. You know he's mm-hmm. not coaching out of 1975. No. Ken Hitchcock's a modern, smart guy that knows what's going on. And and I'm gonna say this, he he really focused on Leon Drysaddle. And he spent, he's only there since, well, McCauley got fired on November 20th, so Mm -hmm. Hitchcock came in the rest of the year. And he worked with and around and on Leon Dreisaitl. And he knew there was more in Leon Dreisaitl. And by the time the season was over, Dreisaitl was a 50-goal, 100-point player, and he's even better this year. So I'm not saying it's all Hitch. It's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, as a guy that, that, like, the minute he walked in the door, he said to me, there's more here. I can get more from this guy. Yeah. Well, I think he did. And and that's a guy people look at and say, old school coach. But he is able to adapt. And listen, yep. Ken Hitchcock had some pretty offensive teams in Kamloops. It's not like he was yep. just a defensive coach. And, you know, he had Brad Hall, a notorious offensive player, help him win a Stanley Cup. Whether yes, you did. think the foot was in the crease or not, it was uh, still yeah, a uh, Stanley Cup. So let's move on to the... Uh, to the or actually just one final uh, thought on on the coaching. Do you think there are going to be more guys uh, suffer the consequences of their reputation like Mike Babcock has and like uh, Bill Peters has? Oh yeah, there will be for sure because um, you know as as the stories come out, the problem is how would I say? I won't call it a problem. You know, these guys, a lot of guys did some mean and ugly and dirty and crappy things to players and nobody knew about them and they went on with their life. But now it's coming back to get them a little Mm -hmm. bit because now guys are going to send out a tweet that there's no judge and jury here. There's no, no, you know, chance to prove everything out and and, and put someone on the witness stand. They're just going to throw some stuff out there Mm -hmm. and it's going to hurt these coaches. And and a a GM who might be trying to hire a coach is not going to come out and say, I'm not hiring that coach because I read all this stuff on Twitter, but he won't hire that coach because he read all that stuff on Twitter. That's right. Yeah, you're you're 100 percent right. So that They're... coach is going to suffer a bit of a fate, and all I can say is let's hope that it's the, that it's true. You know, let's hope that right. someone's not making it up. That's the that's the thing eh? because there's a lot of there, there's the potential for good coaches to get smeared in this because player A didn't like their time with that coach sure you know and then listen there's a lot of valid complaints out there and let's just hope that uh everything well gets taken care of properly danny carcillo is a is a real uh conflicted mm-hmm. guy here i mean a he as a player he was handing out concussions to others as more than anyone or certainly top five in a league he was a you know a hard hitter a high hitter a fighter a reckless player right and now he's, you know, turned it around and he's been really an excellent crusader against the concussions and, and the way the league handles them and yep. the, the lack of proper protocol. So good for him. But Danny was a bit of a loose cannon in his time as a player. And now he's gone the other way. He's a bit of a loose cannon as a uh, crusader. Advocate, yeah. And an advocate, yeah. right? And he's, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, he's throwing a lot of stuff around and I... You know, most of it, I, I don't know how to say it without, I, I don't want to disparage Danny Carcillo. You just he, hope a lot of it's true. I just hope that, 
he's responsible, mm-hmm. you know, because look at, look at Akeem Alou. Like I, I think we've all agreed. It's been corroborated. Uh, everything he said about Peters was true. Right now there's still an issue of, did he apologize? Did he not apologize? I'm not that worried about it, but what he said was true. I think we can all say that, yep. but those two tweets he sent out that night have crushed Bill Peters career. Now he said the stuff. So we'll say he deserves it. Tough luck. He said it. That's his problem. Yeah. But two tweets, one tweet can ruin your career. Yeah. So tweet all you want, but you better be right. Yeah. And don't make it up because the effects, no one cares if you made it up. That's in right. In today's social media world. The damage was already done. The damage done. will be done. Yeah. What do you like about social media? <laughs> much, not much. It's a cesspool at times, yeah. man. Like when when the Don Cherry stuff happened, no yeah. matter like it was black and white. And, and listen, I was um, uh, passionate about some of the things I said too. Um, but I think there's a difference between you can be passionate and respectful. It's the same as a coach. You can dress down a player as long as you don't demean them and you know get personal. None of that on social. It media. doesn't happen. Like you, you, you. What happened to the days of respectful debate? No, there's not. Yeah, there's none. As a as a focal point here, as a reporter in Edmonton, it's it's, you know, if I write if the Oilers are getting beat five two, and I say, boy, the other team's just better than they are tonight. They're yeah. handing it to the Oilers. Uh, they criticize. You know, there's there's some people out there who will come on criticize you for being negative. You're always negative. Yeah. Okay, fair. If I write. You know, it's five two, but they played a pretty good game. They just had some bad bounces. You're a homer. Then I'm a homer. Yeah. You know, if I write that, uh, you know, Jujar Kara's having a bad season because he hadn't scored any goals yeah. yet. Uh, I'm too hard on Jujar Kara. If I if he scores three and four and I go, hey, here we go. Here's the guy we thought we'd see. Yeah. He's a good-looking player here. Oh, you're a houseman. So yeah. it's, it's no fun. You yeah. Know, it's no fun. Like, you can't win. The you part can't. I don't like about it is you disagree all you want. That's fine. That's debate. Um, and there are people that no matter what you say, they're going to disagree with yeah, you with. The part I don't like is how they do it. I mean, you were on the radio on uh, when it was team, and I, I don't know how uh, prolific texting was then, but uh, wh- when I was doing the night show, the text message that I got, I'm like, you would never say this to a person's face. No. You would never say that to a person's face. Oh, and, and you know, and then throwing anonymity. Like, uh, That's my, right, yeah. Our name is on our Twitter account. Right. Everybody knows who it is. Yeah. And, and a huge swath of the people that come that that respond to come at you and some of the people that are very nice out there you don't know who they are that's right because they come from some handle behind some handle that mm-hmm. so it's i don't i'm not a fan um i have it know. for my job i have if it I, for if, my job if i was independently wealthy i would not go near social media yeah like i think i would just yeah. enjoy life a lot more but, well but let's focus on the positive a little bit the one thing about twitter is it allows you to to find the news true Right, you want hockey news? It's all in one place. Yeah. It's it's where I often go to search for stuff right oh, away. For sure, like like if you know if if I had just heard some if someone mentions, did you hear there was a big signing or did you hear this? What do you do? You yeah. immediately go and you find Chris Johnston or Bob McKenzie or yeah, you whoever. know because if it happened, they'll have tweeted about yeah. it tonight. Or Chris Chelios is trending. Why? Oh, this article know. about uh, Mike right. Babcock, and that's why I found out and about next that thing uh, you know, today. Sure. Yeah, so there are there are some good things. Um, I just uh, you know like and and I I just block people. Like this yeah. is this is what I say. If if you're standing on a street corner and some guy's yelling at you, calling you an asshole, you should go kill yourself. Do this. You're not standing there talking to them anymore. No, you're just walking. Yeah. Away. So I blo- I use the block button quite liberally, yeah. Yeah. and 
Yeah, I, th I think life is too short to let people you don't even know aggravate you like that, right? That's very, very true. And you, you know, I guess it's easy to say never look at your mentions, but <laughs> but you know what? There's but sometimes some, there's good ones. Well, there's good ones. Yeah. And there's people that ask you a question. Right, you that's know, like right. Like a lot of times you get, well, what about this? And why didn't they do that? Yeah. I'm happy to go back and forth. Yeah. But but more and more as as we go along in, in social media, certainly in Twitter, the you know, where you where you weigh in and try to have a conversation with someone, it turns out to be negative. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, I'm not doing that again. And and I keep going back like a dummy, you know, because some guys <laughs> out there has a question or a kid. Yeah, yeah, that's go, right. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Let's get in. I'll help you. We'll chat this through. Yeah. And so often it just doesn't, it, it doesn't end well. Yeah. And you go, why did I do that again? Hopefully the Oilers season ends well as it, you know, doing those post-game shows, the one year there was playoffs, the rest of the year, it's just nastiness on the radio. Well, this no one year, likes seven a well, team that doesn't win. Of course. And I, I, yeah. listen, I'm not blaming the fans at all. They've been through uh, enough junk in this town, but this year appears right now to be different. And we're, we're kind of seeing some historical performances with McDavid and Dreisaitl. When you go back to... You know, uh, the amount of points they have, 50 points December yeah. 1st, and the names are Gretzky and Lemieux that have done it uh, yeah. since 89, 90. Yeah. That's pretty amazing stuff we're seeing before our eyes right now. What's uh, what's your take on McDavid Dreisaitl this year? Uh, it's, it's you know, I think what what I feel like is, you know, remember that old bumper sticker in Alberta where they, where they said, please, Lord, give us another boom. Yeah. I won't <laughs> piss it away this time. Right, yeah. Right? <laughs> I haven't seen one of those lately. Uh you know, we Edmontonians and Albertans and hockey fans kind of took Gretzky and Curry, you know, that whole thing a little bit for granted. I think mm -hmm. we didn't we didn't realize how long it would be before we'd get to see anything even roughly similar to yeah. it. And all of a sudden it's back, you know. This is the 2020 version of Gretzky and Curry. It and really is. Like how many times already this year has a, has a record come up? Uh, the Oilers after 10 games, scores after 20 games, now scores on December 1st, scores at American Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. It keeps coming back to to McDavid and Drysaddle and Lemieux and Yager mm -hmm. and Gretzky and Curry. And, you know, it's it keeps coming. Like it's not, now it's December. Now let's see what happens on New Year's, right? Yeah. So I think it's a blast. And I think it's a, it's probably a little bit of a lesson to say, you know, drink it in and, and enjoy it and watch it and and savor it, Yeah, right? Because Gretzky and Curry, boy, that's a long time ago, man. You know, and the people that are saying, um, well, Dreisaitl's just benefiting from McDavid. Well, who yeah, doesn't no. benefit from McDavid? Every single player that plays with McDavid benefits. Oh, I sure. mean, Yari Curry benefited from Wayne Gretzky. It yeah. doesn't make him any less of a sniper goal scorer that he was 70 goals yeah. in seasons. I mean, he's a perfect guy. Leon Dreisaitl, sure he benefits from McDavid, but he probably gives as much back. And I don't know about you, but I think Dreisaitl has one of those underrated one-timers in the NHL, and he proved it last night twice. Yeah, I think for me, the thing about his one-timer is there's very little backswing to it. It's mm -hmm. a real quick mm -hmm. shot. It's a snapshot. You know, he's not... I mean, he'll have a slapper once in a while, but it's but it's not snapper. Ovechkin Liney. It's right? not Ovechkin yeah. with his with his stick in the rafters like yeah. Liney, right? He's not that guy. No, he's such a good player. Uh, there's a ton of player there, man. He's you know he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting too. He's mm -hmm. winning the faceoffs, right? Like Curry, I'm not you know I don't want to play this off on Curry like he's a lesser player. Curry did all that defensive work. For he Gretzky. did. Curry could have won the Selkie. He never did. He should have. But he could have. Should have, right? yeah. But he made sure the puck didn't go in, and then he 
you know, went down the ice and did his magic. Yeah. And Drysaddle in the same way is, you know, he's the one taking the big defensive draws. Yeah. He's the one that's killing penalties once in a while. McDavid isn't. Uh, he's he's a really, really good player, man. We used to play a game called Stratomatic uh, when I was a kid, and Yari Curry's defensive rating was always, like, the best in the game. And I'm like, this guy scores 70 goals. And you're right, Dreisaitl, um does a lot of that heavy lifting. And he does things, you know, there was a game a while ago where he barged to the middle and set somebody up and then later in the third period sent a feathery pass over to Cassian who scored a goal. It's like he can take charge and run over you or yeah. he can be really soft and deft. He's got he's got a lot of variance to his offensive game. And yeah, right. this was a guy who, remember, was supposed to be a passer coming yeah, out of Prince he, Albert. He was a passer. And, you know, uh, Yeri was a finisher. Gretz yeah. had the puck all yeah. the time. But it's not like that with McDavid and Drysaddle. McDavid uh, or Drysaddle can... You know, he, he can hold the puck out and hold you away from it and that he's such a big guy and he's mm -hmm. got the long reach. That puck's like eight feet away from you, right? So, no, there's a there's just a, a well-rounded player. And, you know, McDavid too. McDavid's as good a scorer as he is a passer. 28 points in his last 14 games. I mean, <laughs> uh, like it's just... Uh, it's uh, crazy. You know, and, and there, was, uh, there was times when people would say, oh... Um, Crosby's just an assist guy, and then he scores 50. Right. You know, Gretzky was the the diff, little bit different. Remember, the, he went like 92 goals, and then yes. would he would also have a lot of assists. But both Dreisaitl and McDavid, like, who's going to be shocked when McDavid scores 50 this year? No. They've got 37 goals combined. Yeah, together. So it's it's kind of cool. One day Dreisaitl does the scoring, the other day McDavid yeah. does the scoring. You know, the other, uh, what was the game? It was against Colorado where McDavid had a hat trick and, and Dreisaitl has four assists. So. Yeah. Last night, Drysaddle gets two, and McDavid has some assists. Yeah, that's I probably it just makes him tougher to deal with. Yeah, um, right now with no Nugent Hopkins, and, and hopefully he's back Wednesday. That's that's what they're they're hoping. He had mm -hmm. uh, some sort of procedure, but when Nugent Hopkins comes back, you could keep Drysaddle and McDavid apart if you wanted to for a couple of games to throw Nugent Hopkins on Drysaddle's wing, keep Neil with uh, McDavid, and, and see how that goes if you really wanted to. Well, the, the question sort of becomes, if you're going to play Drysaddle and McDavid on the power play together, and let's say like last night in Vancouver, mm -hmm. you know, they do their damage there. They, they win the game with two power play goals. Maybe five on five, you can get away without playing them together. Right. Right? You could I mean, at least try it, I guess. Well, you could try it. I mean, I'm not sure why you take Drysaddle off of McDavid's <laughs> wing and put him on, on um, Nugent Hopkins' wing, but... You know, Nuge and Hop, they're still light on wingers, and I feel a little bit for Nuge because he gets, you know, McDavid gets the best mm. they've got, and there's not always a lot left for R&H, is there? Well, no, and, like, that's why going into this season, it was like this is the best winger in James Neal that Ryan Nugent Hopkins has really had on a consistent basis. He, he started fairly slow, five-on-five uh, yeah, five offensively. Yeah, I think we're finding that he's not a great five-on-five five player. He's got... Unbelievable hands, mm -hmm. really. He's a finisher, man. James Neal, he's a he's a still a top top flight goal scorer. Mm -hmm. He knows what to do with it, you know, around the net. Uh, as a five on five player, you know, win the battle, get the puck, pass the puck, skate to open ice, battle here, battle there. I'm not sure that's his strength, right. frankly. But um, you know, you can't listen. Having traded Lucic, uh, the guy at the same salary level. And he's 
you know, what's he going to get you this year? At least 20, maybe 25. He's got 14 already. So. Right. So I'm not complaining here, but I think we're seeing that Neil is a, everyone else, if everyone else does a lot of the work yeah, and then they give it to Neil at the end, he does his part of the work and that's put it in the net. Yeah. Like this team is not there yet where they can have McDavid, Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins centering their own lines. They don't have the depth. No. You wrote a, a no. piece though at uh, sportsnet.ca about some of the guys that are close. And, you know, when Benson maybe gets here or Yamamoto, yeah. then maybe you can fill that out. But but I'm like you. I'm I'm fine with Tyler Benson, especially with the, you know, 37 points in the bank right now for the Edmonton Oilers. There is no need to rush anybody right now, in my opinion. And the fact that they're, they are where they are, they didn't have to rush the Essie Pugliarvi trade either. So nope. their hot start right. has, has bought them some time. Buys everybody time. Right, buys everybody time, and uh, like he, Ken Holland needs a third line center first and foremost. Yeah, that's what he needs. He needs a guy that can win some draws. He needs Manny Mahotra with some off, with a little bit a of little offense. Bit of offense for sure. Like more than one point. Like uh, Riley Shane has one point He's this year. Good, Riley Shane, actually, Riley Shane and and Gaetan Haas are both to me their fourth line yeah, centers. And you're that's right. Fine, yeah. and it, I think come if you can find the right third line center this summer, Ken Holland's going to have to decide which guy he keeps between mm -hmm. Haas and Shane, because I yeah. don't think you need both of them to be really honest. Yeah. Well, and going like I was looking at their uh, team next year, they only have six forwards under contract, I think. So, um, okay. They're going to, you know, and, and one of them is Jujar Kyra and the other one's Alex chase on. And I think we both agree. Neither of those guys are top six players or would you? No, no, no. They're not, uh, you know, Jujar Kara is a real nice third line left yeah. winger for me. And in fact, chase on is probably a third line right winger. Yeah. So if you could find me a real good, you know, a legit third line center, I don't mind. I'd give you that line right there. Yeah. And you, in that way you can keep Ryan Nugent Hopkins, McDavid and dry subtle in your top six where they probably well, they all have belong to be there for yeah. sure. And Cassian, you're going to resign him like him on yeah. that line. He's that's why are we fixing that? It's a real nice line. What you need is some guys for, um, or at least one more guy for Nugent Hopkins to play with. And you need a winger on that third line that can, you know, I'd like to say, I'd like a winger that could push Jujar Kyra down to the fourth line. That's what I'd like. Yeah if I'm running that team. So uh, I don't think that Ken Holland will be able to find a third line center and the two scoring wingers he thinks he needs. His goaltending's fine. It's, you know, it's okay for now. It's, I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's best in the world, but it's pretty good. His defense is fine, and he's got a bunch of kids coming. So yeah. he's a third line center. He needs some depth scoring. He's not getting it all this year, but if he could certainly find a third line center, maybe find a someone somewhere who could score a goal or two for you off the third line, I don't mind the look of their team do you think ken holland with the limited cap space that they have will be able to add somebody at the deadline that can can oh, yeah. make a difference do you think yep. so yeah i do because at the deadline you can do all kinds of things you can you can shift them a brandon manning because there's not much left in this contract okay and say you know give me the guy i want i'm going to give you manning and i'm going to give you a little bit better draft pick because you're eating some salary okay. to make this thing happen so sure, you know, he can. I don't think, like, he doesn't have a third-round pick next year because that's going to go to Calgary. That's right. So if you give away a second-round pick, man, now you go first round, you got to sit around till the fourth. Mm -hmm. Not many fourth-rounders play. So that's a tough one to trade that second-round pick, right? You could trade your 2021 second-rounder if, if a if team is that to, patient. That is fair. That is fair. You could do that. Do you want to trade? I mean, I'm not. you're not trading Bouchard. You're not trading... 
uh, Broberg. You just drafted them. Or Samarukov or any Well, of those the Samarukov's sort of the next guy, but geez, I don't know how good he's going to be. Nobody knows. No. Like, he's a first-year pro. Why would you start tossing those? That's, he, why give up on that, He right? could be better than Bouchard for all we know. Who knows? You just don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of... Uh, Giving up on those guys uh, when you when you're barely scratching the surface on them. I, right. I mean, if if you got a guy that's two three years pro, twenty three twenty four years right. old and just still stalling his uh, wheels, then that's different. Um, the blue line is is interesting because um, y- you mentioned you got Bouchard, you got Samarukov, you got Broberg in the next few years. I'm not saying any of those guys are going to be there next year. Um, but you got a guy like William Lagason, and I know you wrote about him. I've been a fan of him since the 2015 World Juniors, where I saw him live at the at Toronto, and oh yeah, he was he is not afraid to tattoo a Sherwood on your back if you're yeah. standing in front of the net. And that's what I love about I him. I like that in my third pair. Yeah, it d- does. This team need to trade one of Larson or Russell at the end of the season. I think you probably want them to make a playoff run, but this summer, does one of those guys have to go to? Be able to fit somebody in. That's four million dollars. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's you got a better chance of trading Larson because he's a better player. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Russell is. I love everything about Chris Russell except for his four million dollar price tag. Mm-hmm. You know, you won't see me on that that side of the guys that you know. I get it. He blocks a lot of shots. And he's a third pairing. He's a third pairing defenseman. He makes four million. It's too yeah. much. Yes. It's too much. Um. Especially when your top two defensemen are making about the same amount of money in Cleft Bottom Larson, right? It's you know, just the... too much. But but if he's making too much money, it's hard to trade him. Yeah. It's hard to trade guys who make too much money. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it I but I think you want to keep both of those guys to make a playoff run this for year. For this like season, that, for sure. I, I had Struddy in here and he said Chris Russell's the guy you want in the playoffs, oh, right? Absolutely. For sure. The only you know, then over the summer, if you go, okay, I gotta get Lagason in here, let's say. And I need to make room for him. Yeah. Caleb Jones is going to stay. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be a regular Bears player next year. Here, yeah. Bears on the team. I got too many defensemen. So now I think it becomes a, you know, I like Matt Benning. So, you know, sure. The question is, it's easy to say who you want to trade. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to go out there and try to move that player. Which brings us to Jesse Pugliarvi. Mm-hmm. The deadline is obviously passed. Uh, that was, uh, I think it was yesterday, yeah. which is the best thing for all parties. I think keep, him, uh, you know, I thought I was wrong at the beginning. I said he should be here. I think the value is going to be really low. And listen, I'm not one of those guys that thinks it's a beer league, but I'm also not one of those guys that thinks it's on par with the American Hockey League. No, it's not. And so you just hope now that Pugliarvi continues to progress and then you make that trade at the draft. Is that not the the kind of the yeah. what you're looking at now? You're, there's two things there. A, you're hoping he progresses. So you want him to be included on the... Um, tournament teams that the national, the Finnish national team, they're going like, right. I don't know what they call the Swedish games anymore. I think they've sold the name to a cell phone company. Okay. But it's basically the Swedish games. There's the oldest Vestia. Yeah. That's coming. That comes afterwards and they go to yeah. that tournament. Uh, but he went to the and first. And the Worlds. And then the Worlds. Yeah. Pugliari went to the first installment of that national team build up to the Worlds and he wasn't that good there for Finland. The 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 Karjala Cup. Okay, yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah. The Hala Cup, it's in Finland and it's in Helsinki. So he wasn't that good there. So the risk for Edmonton is he's got to make the team. Like, you want him in the world. Yeah. If he doesn't make the team, that's bad. Now, the other thing is, you know, sure, you trade him at the draft. I don't think he'll be in order to pass a draft. You could, he could be the sweetener at the deadline. 
you know, you make a deadline trade. He can't come over and play for the team you're trading him to, but it's probably a team that's not making the playoffs anyway. Yeah. So he could be a sweetener at the deadline that helps you make a deadline deal. And then he has all summer to sign a contract with that team and he comes to camp with them. What about that? Yeah. Why not? Right. If, if it, if it's going to maybe think if it, if you think it can put you over the top for a round well, and two or, whatever. you know, bring in a, let's say you're going to Ottawa and you, let's say you want Page, mm-hmm. Pajot, excuse me. You want Pajot. Right. Um, you know, you figure out a deal and it's not going to be enough to just give him Pugliarvi. No, buddy, you're right. It could be the topper. But it yeah. might be something that makes the deal happen. Yeah. Uh, I could see that. I was always focused on the draft, but, uh, you know, if this team, and, and listen, um, there's not many teams that have started the way the Oilers have and missed the playoffs. I mean, like the numbers are yeah. there for like, I think there's like one team that the start they had. Um, I just, I'm, you know, like this team has always had those swoons and, not saying that they're not going to have one, but if they do, they have some currency built up yeah. already, right? It's just, it's it's now it's we're into December, and you can start saying, okay, they have a you know in November and October. I was like, eh, I want to see more time. Well, are I you thought, convinced? Yeah, I, I thought the something that really showed me uh, a lot was the third period in the, on the Sunday night game in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. You know, they it was two two. They scored a very very power play goal. It's three two. I think what, 40 seconds in or a minute 15 or something, they scored that power play goal. Um, so it's three two orders basically for the whole third period. And, you know, it's the end of a back-to-back. They're yeah. on the road. The other team wants it as bad as they do. And it's a matter of hunkering down and winning a period. Win the period, win the game, right? And I thought that that the Jacob Markstrom had by far the tougher period than Miko Koskinen. Mm-hmm. The orders had the puck by far more then uh, the game was played in Vancouver's end for the last 20 minutes. And even in the last three, four minutes when they pulled their goalie, and you know, there's always that momentum at the end of the game that yeah. the trailing team always pushes. Uh, I didn't see Miko Koskinen making a bunch of great saves. He made some saves. They weren't that hard. Mm-hmm. And they won the game 3-2. They held a lead that, you know, we always go back to old Oilers teams and, oh my God, it's there's a false floor here and right, not yeah. going to hang on and, you know, even recently, those teams in Edmonton weren't very good at nursing a 3-2 lead for 20 minutes. For sure, yeah. And they did last night exceptionally effectively, and I thought that's a, a trait that's going to, you know, that's the microcosm of why you don't lose five in a row, mm-hmm. right? And goaltending has been exceptional at times for this team where it was an absolute boat anchor in the past and you know i thought mike smith was going to come in and and steal a lot of wins and starts from miko koskinen so did I. and so miko did I. koskinen is 10 2 and 2. i mean uh, at some point and, and i'm getting close to saying maybe i was wrong about miko koskinen oh, like I, you look sure. all the way back to that very first preseason game he had where i was like oh my goodness is this is this guy even, does he have skate guards on his blades right now? He can't even stand <laughs> he up or anything. behind the net to stop Nothing, the Nothing, yeah. No. And then now, uh, he's calm, he's cool. I, you know, he still has the, the Achilles heel glove hand, but every goalie has a weakness. Yep. And he's getting better at that through position. And, and, and I think I'm pretty close to saying... I was wrong about Miko Koskinen. I still think that the deal that they gave him didn't have to happen at that no, point. It didn't. But he is proving that he can be a number one goalie right now. We're not, there's a lot less talk about what yeah. he's making now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's playing like a $4.5 million goal yeah. center. You're right. He should be making three, but whatever. Uh, 
listen, I'm totally was wrong on him in terms of, of his ability. You know, he's 31 years old. Yes. Right? So 30 or 31? I believe he's 31. I think he's 31. I think he's 31. So I asked, a, you know, just traveling through the league last year, whenever I'd run across someone who I felt knew goaltending, whether it was a goaltending coach from another team, often the goalie coach is in the press box. Mm-hmm. And they watch the game from upstairs. So I'd run across different guys that I know. And I go, hey, man, tell me this. What's the chance of a 30, 31-year-old goaltender who's got a bad glove hand going home in the summer, fixing it, coming back with a good glove hand? And guys just laugh. Zero. At that age? Yeah. There's no chance of that happening. If it's bad now, it's bad. That's it. We're done. And you know who didn't agree with that was Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine. You know Kevin. You're an old goalie. He said, no, no, he said it's all about f- positioning and footwork. And yeah. I always kept thinking to myself, wait a second, man. The guy can't catch anything, and it's about his feet? Like, come on, <laughs> right? But whatever happened, uh, we only saw, I saw one the other night. There was in that, when he was in the deluge in Colorado, yeah. when he faced 50 shots. And f- the, uh, the first time this season that I can remember, someone fired a long shot, it hit his glove, Instead of catching it, yeah. it fell right in the slot, and it was in the net. And we used to see that all the time. Sure, like in goalie school, they'd say you're 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 playing goal with a frying pan. The frying pan. He had a frying pan. Yeah. Doesn't have a frying pan anymore. Nope. He's catching it. He's stopping it. And yeah, listen, he's totally proven all conventional wisdom about fixing an old goalie. Right? Totally yeah. proven it wrong. Good for him. Way to go. Like, I'd, I'd like to see an outlier here. Yeah. Right? He's the St. Louis Blues, man. Who thought they could win? Well, who thought Koskinen could be any good? I didn't, and he is. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's um, it's amazing. It's like, remember Mika Kippersoff went from San Jose to Calgary, and he I think he was still a little bit younger than 31, he but was? still, you know, he became, uh, you know, so oh you just kind of don't know. Um, the thing I like about this Oilers situation right now is their goaltending right now is costing them $6.5 million. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a really that's good, really especially reasonable. for the quality that you're mm-hmm. getting. I mean, there's a lot of goalies out there that make six and a half on their own. Yes. And you know what? I love Carey Price. Bobrovsky? I think, uh, yeah, v- Vasilevsky, uh, Vasilevsky in Tampa. Not a fan. Why? Oh, no, he's why, a good goalie. Why would you uh, pay your goalie double figures? Yeah, Varlamov. I was thinking of. I'm not a Varlamov fan. Oh, Varlamov went to the to the Islanders. Yeah, yeah. not a fan. But Bobrovsky. why? Why would any? Why would you ever pay a goalie? Ten million dollars or nine. Well, like, I just don't think you need to. The well, Blues that you mentioned it. Look what they did with Jordan Bennington. Well, there you go. So, so here's the question then. So, Carey Price. Look up Carey Price. I think he is thirty-one as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I will find that. And he is on the first year this year, if I'm not mistaken, of a seven or eight-year deal. Carey Price is thirty-two. 32, yeah. excuse me, not 31, it's 32, and he's on the... And it's a uh, eight-year deal, eight and he's year on deal. year two. Year two, okay, so I'm close, but yeah. as always, just a little off. But but making 10 and a half so million. Making 10 and a half in the second year of an eight-year deal, he's 32 years old, they're paying him until he's 40. Yeah. Would you trade today a sixth-round pick for Carey Price? Would I? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. I don't want him on my team. Oh, just because of that co- for, I don't with want the contract. That contract? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? The, uh, He's now, Carey Price. I would He's trade, a legendary yeah. goaltender. I wouldn't trade for that contract. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah. Well, you get Carey Price, you yeah, get the contract. That's right. Okay, yeah. So that's my point. Like he's he's a great goal. He's Carey Price. I mean, he's a legend. He'll probably be in the hall, I assume. And 
you know, I, I got nothing bad to say about Kerry, but the point would be that with that contract attached to number 31 in Montreal, yeah. I'm telling you what, like, because his game is, you know. Hasn't he's, been as good. He's not the 27-year-old Kerry Price anymore. Yeah, and the team hasn't been g- good in front of That's him, and, and there's only so much he can... Uh, you know, he's not, he doesn't have the two forty three nine thirty save percentages no. that he is, uh, you know, nine seventy two save percentages. Ten and a half nine twenty seven years. Yeah. Like it's, that's just, that's a, you can guarantee that that's, there's going to be some sad years in that contract. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I'm. I speak ill of Kerry Price because he's a freaking legend, but let's face it. It's like Seabrook. I love Seabrook. Yeah. And it's that contract's killing the Blackhawks. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think like ten and a half million dollars is four million, almost five million dollars more than what the Oilers are four million dollars or whatever than the Oilers are paying for two guys. Yeah. Uh, and they're obviously uh, better off in the standings. The Taylor Hall situation is interesting right now. Yes. Um, I think it was uh, I think Pierre LeBron wrote an article over the weekend talking about you know, it, it, and I agree with him. If I'm the Devils, I'm not sure I'm investing however many eight years into Taylor Hall right now? Yes. I think they could be better off bringing in assets because Taylor Hall's going to hit the jackpot. If, if he doesn't go to July 1st, I don't know why. I don't know what he, he was doing. He should go to July 1st. He's going to be the biggest fish, and he's going to get overpaid as the biggest fish always does. Right. How old's Taylor Hall now? 28. 28? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Why does Taylor Hall, like, does Taylor Hall have to sign an eight-year deal? No, but he's going to want to, though. Well, okay. I'm asking that, though. Like, don't all those eight-year deals... They end one of two ways. They either end like his is ending, where he's totally underpaid, right? Yes. Totally yeah. underpaid. Yeah. Uh, or they end where you're Milan Lucic, and it's a, it's an awful life because you can't live up to your money. You feel like you're not pulling your weight. Yep. And yeah, Luch gets a big check every month, but I know the guy, and he's it's killing him that he's... Yeah. He's in that situation. You These know? guys are pride. They're proud They're people. And proud. They've been good players their yeah. whole lives, you know. So what is like so he's twenty eight. What if Taylor Hall signed a four year deal? Bear with me here. Okay. Sign a four year deal at a place where you want to play, make tons of money for four years. I mean he's probably already made well, he's made eight times six. He's made fifty million dollars yeah. in his life. Plus bonuses or and he's, whatever. He's twenty eight years old, he's made fifty million dollars. Uh, he's going to get another four-year deal at nine million. Let's say, let's yeah. call that another thirty-five, thirty-six million. Um, and then he's thirty-two, and now he's in that position where he goes, "Okay, well, I'm thirty-two. I'm a UFA. You know, I, if I like it where I'm at, they'll sign me. If I don't like it, like he's knock wood, he's been a healthy player. Mm-hmm. He's his his foot speed probably. I don't. I mean, like all players, if he loses his foot speed, he's done. But I don't. He doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to happen to at thirty-two. Why does he have to sign for eight years, Dino, and live that life of the long anchor contract? Yeah, maybe he doesn't. I mean, a couple of those Leafs signed short-term deals. Yeah. Like, you know, A, you got enough money. Yeah. And B, leave your options open. You know, leave your, look at these, these poor veteran guys that end up getting sent down to the minors. Yeah. You know, like Wade they're Redden. Buried contract, yeah. Right. And they're just, and they're, it's just no fun. Like their hockey career ends. Yeah, I get it. They get a huge paycheck. That part's fun, but it's no fun being no. that guy. It is not. You know? it, it really isn't. And that's our interesting point because Taylor Hall could also sign that four year deal, 
or whatever, let's say at four years. Then at 32, he can start being a bit of a hired gun for teams that want to put him over the top and maybe he signs a one-year $5 million deal. And then sure. it's somewhere else, right? You know, like right. you just pick point, off one-year deals. At that point, it clearly can't be about money anymore. I don't, I would hope not. Lost. Yeah, you I would hope not, yeah. And at that point, you figure it out. If you yeah. like where you are, you sign there. If you think, ah, you know, it's time to move on. Because most teams aren't good for eight years. That's right, yeah. Right? Other than the Patriots. Other than the Patriots, <laughs> yeah. right. But in hockey, like, you got to find your window. Yeah. I'm signing a four-year deal in Colorado. Sure. Right? Yeah. Where they're a good team, and they got stuff coming in. Hey, if they make it to eight years, they'll give me another three later yeah. on. But I'm pretty sure the first four are going to be good. Like, what were those deals that Kane and, and Tave signed? Uh, like, kind of what you mentioned with, like, Seabrook and and uh keith and stuff and you know these guys are signing eight-year deals and listen patrick kane is never getting uh sent to the minors but you had to know eventually the team wasn't going to be well, as good when your top four guys are making that much money right eight-year deals at the end of a dynasty yeah that's right yeah you know so paying for what they did not for what yeah, you want them to so, do right you know i don't blame the players so nope. much but it's like i think brent seabrook is is the is the bellwether right now in the league he's you know, an old GM once told me, never fall in love with a player. You can't fall yeah. in love with these guys. Even though you love them, you can't fall in love with them. So, it's, you know, it's very difficult to say Brent Seabrook, who's the yeah. heart and soul and blood for that team. They won three cups, man. But that contract is an anchor. Yeah. You have to, as a GM, be able to say, Brent, we love you. We're going to give you $3 bucks." And if you can go get six somewhere else, I'm going to shake sure. your hand and send you on your way. But I'm not giving you a seven-year deal at yeah. whatever he's making, man. Seven million bucks or something? Like, you can't. It reminds me it. of, uh, yeah, he's making 6.8. and Dustin and Brown. Duncan Keith. Yeah, Dustin Brown. Yeah, another Same guy. Same guy. Uh, Bobby Ryan had a big contract. Like, there are lots of guys that big contracts that... But those, uh, Bobby Ryan didn't get one because he won cups anywhere. No, you're true. Yeah, right? yeah you're right. I'm yeah, talking about yeah. the loyalty contract. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that, that's Mike Richards got out of L.A. too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. Jeff Carter can still play. You know, he can still play. Yeah. But those contracts kill you. Yeah, they're, you're just... Uh, the the dynasty's going to come to an end at some point. All right, I want to ask you, I want to talk about this... Uh, beautiful uh and thank you very much for uh dropping off road to gold uh, mm -hmm. the untold story of canada at the world juniors this is um probably my favorite next to the stanley cup hockey event um you know as as every canadian kid probably did i got yeah. up with my mom and dad when the tournament was overseas and my brothers and okay. we would watch games and cheer and yeah. <laughs> I, I just i just love so much about it um this is a cool story because this tells the story of how it all began, which is a really complex and interesting story, isn't it? Well, yeah, and and like we look at the World Junior now, we all know what it is. Sure, it's, yeah, it's a ratings monster, money for maker TSN. in Canada. Sure, in Canada they put it on, and it's just every second. There's a reason it's here every second year. That's right, yeah, because we can charge two hundred dollars or whatever they're charging for a ticket, whereas yeah. over in Checo, it's a the people won't pay that. For That's it. right. So the revenues in Canada, like it's, it has become in Canada where, where Americans watch football when they're sitting around the table with their family on Thanksgiving yeah. in Canada, come boxing day, when all the families together, we're, we've got a hockey game on yeah. and it's the world junior and it's become our version of Thanksgiving football up in Canada. And, and it did start, you know, it started with, with the, 
an old cat named Murray Costello who was running the old CAHA. Yeah, I remember, remember the CAHA. Yeah, the Canadian <laughs> Amateur Hockey Association. Right, before it became Hockey Canada. Yeah. And he watched it in the 70s. The thing started in 74. They did four unofficial ones. They were all in Europe. Then in, I think, 78. No, I shouldn't say that. One was in Montreal. 78, it became official. Was that Gretzky's? 77 was Gretzky in Montreal. Okay, yeah. And for some reason, they don't call that an official World Junior, yeah. but whatever. Well, they had the blue uniforms, yes, I did. think, yes, right? right? Yeah. 5,000 people at the forum. Yeah. Yeah. Like here's Wayne Gretzky. I know playing at the forum. There's five thousand people there. Ugh. No one cares. If you ever need a time machine to go back and get a ticket for that, <laughs> oh game, my god, eh? wouldn't you? Holy mackerel! That's so, incredible. We're sending our our Memorial Cup champions overseas. Well, they've lost three or four of their best players from last year, for right? sure. Yeah. So they're going over there. They're they they don't have any experience with playing against Russian systems or European systems. They've got no experience, more importantly, with dealing with European referees. Or the you, ice. Or the size of the ice, yeah. how you play, what you do, how yeah. do you get... What the do officiating, you for sure, though, back in those issues. days, right? Because we played such a rough game, and they didn't hit over there. Right. So it was a problem. So the point I'm making is none of that stuff got passed down from team to team. You know, Dale Howarchuk's team would go over there... Um, Cornwall Royals. Yeah, thank you. Cornwall mm. Royals would go over there one year, and they'd get licked up, and they'd learn all those lessons. By the end, they'd have it figured out, but it was over. Yeah. I think and they finished only ahead of Austria or right, something like exactly. that. Right, yeah. exactly. Then, and then the next year, the Kitchener Rangers would go yeah. over there, and they wouldn't learn any of the lessons, of course, so they'd have to learn them all the hard way again. Yeah, they'd have to start over. Right, yeah. start over. So Murray Costello, who was running the CHA, and, a, and a, his right-hand man, a guy named Dennis McDonald out of Winnipeg, mm -hmm. um, who Murray admits doesn't get enough credit oh, for yeah. he, developing this, right? He was like that assistant coach that, That's you right. know, he was the muckler under Glenn Saber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah way more right. than you thought. Yeah. Um, they basically decided, okay, we're getting crushed here. This is stupid. we got a good hockey country, but we can't win this tournament. Mm -hmm. So it was up to Murray Costello. He They worked and worked and worked and worked. They set up some funding and all this stuff. But in the end, he had to show up at a meeting with... Ed Chenoweth, the head of the WHL, mm -hmm. David Branch, the head of the OHL, and the head of the uh, Quebec League, who has since passed. Um, Rougeau. Yeah, Rougeau, thank you. Uh, the, who is one of the Rougeau wrestler That's brothers. That's right. right, yeah, and I never knew that. Yeah. yeah, he was a wrestler. But anyway, and he had to convince these guys, look, this, this is an important tournament. Well, they said, no, it's not. No one cares about yeah. this tournament. Hmm. Okay. Plus, he it's said, at Christmas where we make a lot of revenue. That's right. Yeah. I need your best players. I need your captains. I need your leading scorers. I need your best defenseman. And I need somebody's best goalie. Yeah. Two of them. And I want to take them over to Europe. I want to camp in early December somewhere in Canada. And I want to take them somewhere far away. So I basically want them for a month. I want them for a month. Uh, over Christmas when all the folks in Brandon and Lethbridge and Sault Ste. Marie come mm -hmm. home for Christmas and you get your best gates and you schedule lots of games. I need all your best players. I want to put this team together so we can win this tournament that nobody cares about. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it started. Yeah. And the, from the owners and, or the, uh, and, and like the commissioners, I guess they were a little bit more on board, but the individual owners were like, why would we give up our gates for this? Why would, and from, from their perspective at that point, you could kind of see how, their point of view. Now, sure. what it's turned into, obviously, they were on the right path, Murray Costello. But at that point, from a own, CHL owner's perspective, it was a bad deal. Well, it was. And and 
Costello was a visionary. Like he absolutely told Chinoeth and those guys and Branch and Rougeau, he said, look, here's what's going to happen. Your guys are going to come home from this thing. Yeah, I love this. They're going to they're going to they're going to bring the mayor out to drop the puck. Yeah. These guys are going to show up at the at the the first game back. The crowd is going to give them a standing ovation. They'll have served their country. They'll be wearing a gold medal. It's going to be the greatest thing for junior hockey you can imagine. And everybody said, "Oh, come on. Really? Yep. Seriously?" And he, he finally convinced the heads of the leagues and the leagues let him go ahead and start this thing yeah. where the, they began what we call know now as the program of excellence, right? Yeah. But individual owners who weren't at those meetings, who never heard that conversation, who didn't get a chance to get convinced, they were like, wait a second, what the hell? Who signed us up for this yeah. stuff? <laughs> right? A hundred percent. So some guys wouldn't let their players go. Other guys, you know, they, they dissuaded their players. Oh, you better not go. Like, I don't know if they'll have a, jo- a place on the team for you, you imagine, when you get back. You imagine the coach saying that to a player yeah. now, right? Yeah, what well, right. we know the world juniors right. as. So it was, it was such, that's what makes it interesting is you can't imagine any of that. Yeah. Like uh, every kid wants to play for the world junior now. Yeah. But back then, like Daryl, uh, Brent Sutter, you know, he was playing for the Lethbridge Broncos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Torrey in the New York Islanders who had drafted him said, don't go to the world junior. He says, play in Lethbridge. I'm going to call you up in January. Just play it out. Don't bother going over there. So Brent never did. He never went. Yeah. And, you know, it's a really good player that didn't play on that team. And that would never happen today. Come on. Well, yeah. Like, what a sell job from Murray Costello. It was, yeah. To, really to was. the mayor. And, and I really like the part, and I don't want to give away too much, where he got parents involved. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. you guys don't want to let your players go. How do you think the parents? So it was, I think it was Mr. Moeller. Yeah, yeah Mike and Randy Moeller's yeah. dad. Like he went to them and, and he started yeah. getting parents, almost a bit of an end around with the commissioners. A little bit, yeah. And Mike and Randy Moeller's dad, who was an RCMP, said uh, they were playing in Lethbridge as well. And he said to the owner, he said, my kids are going. You're not going to tell me what tell to do with my kids. My yeah. kids are going to play an international tournament. They're going to put on the Canadian sweater. And then, of course, the very first year they did it, it was hosted in Winnipeg and, and more so Minnesota. Yeah. And they won some games in Winnipeg. Uh, they actually put a game on national TV against Russia, and the Canadians just beat the hell out of them, like 8-1. to one. Then they went down to Minnesota, and that's where they, they ended up winning. They tied the Czechos in the eighth game of the tournament. They didn't have a gold medal format, right? They just right. played around Robin. Robin. yeah. Last game, they needed a tie. They got it. They win the tournament. So the first year of the program of excellence, they've won a gold medal. They've yeah. never won a gold medal before. But they because there's a tie, they don't play the national anthem. Right, because mm-hmm. they don't. There's no winner. There's no winner of that game. So either they don't play it, or they don't have it, or no one really knows what happened. But that, of course, was the first time all the Canadian players stood arm in arm and sang it because mm-hmm. there's no anthem. So they sang that damn thing. Troy Murray, Mike Bowler, uh, you know, all the guys that played on that team, a whole bunch of old cats that that, you know, just found themselves on this junior team. Yeah. They really didn't know much about it. And uh, they sang the song, and to this day, when Canada wins the gold medal, what do they do? Right? They sing the song. All yeah. the boys sing. It's amazing. The picture on this book is from uh, the 05 team in North Dakota. Hmm. The other time, and that was during a lockout year. The other lockout yeah. year was when it was in Red Deer. Yeah. There was no round robin for it then. This team from North Dakota, in my opinion, is the greatest world junior team of all time. Oh, you think no, so? No question. Like, right. Just look at the, we were we were just t- throwing yeah. out the names. Like Jeff Glass was one of the goalies, and the other goalie was uh, Rayshon Bolsherman. Yeah. Two, you know, Jeff Glass had that little, uh, you know, stint Took with the, like the Blackhawks or whatever. Fifteen years to get yeah. an NHL game in. But like the the you know we always talk. Oh, you need goaltending at the World Juniors. These goalies were probably bored in that yeah. tournament. They didn't have many shots. You know, Shea Weber. And, yeah. And uh, 
Crosby Ryan, is on that team. Crosby's on that team. Bergeron's on that team. Colburn, Corey Perry. Brian Getzlaff. Yeah, Getzlaff. Mike Richards. Andrew Ladd. Seabrook. Carter. Jeff Carter. Sean Bell. <laughs> I mean, Dion Phaneuf was on that team. Yeah. Patrice Bergeron. Ladd. Like you mentioned, oh, some of these God, guys. Like just, It was stacked. It was just a domination. Bergeron was playing for Providence. He was already, a, he would have been an NHL player. But because there was a lockout, That's right. they were allowed to send him to Providence, and he played there. And he actually convinced the Bruins, come on, give me like two weeks off. Let me go play on this team. So he was a pro player. Oh, I didn't know that. He yeah, did the lobbying he did. for that. He did. He wanted to come back and play a World Junior because they lost the year before. Yeah. They'd lost very disappointingly in Finland. And uh, everyone had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, and Bergeron wanted to come brought, back. Yeah, and the, the thing about that team is they brought Brent Sutter in without him having gone through a lot of the Hockey Canada stuff. They kind of... right. right. Uh, skip the queue here, move they to the did. front of the line. They did. Because they needed right. to win. Well, and he, you know, his job was, really his job was to make sure that everyone on the, everyone knew that team was better than everybody else. Yes. Everybody knew it. And everyone knew they were, you know, you couldn't even have got any action on it. You wouldn't have bet that team. You wouldn't have made any money. No. But the, the co- job of the coach was to make sure that that team didn't start thinking that way for a second. Yeah. He had to keep them hungry, right, and attentive, and playing the way it took to play to win. Yeah. There was one game they played, I think it was a semifinals against the Czechs. It was a 3-1 hockey game. And that was the closest it, it was. It was a close game. Yeah. And you know what? The Czechs did score a goal on them, but they uh, somebody, I forget the quote, but it's in the book. Someone said, we could have played six hours that day and the Czechs weren't going to beat us. We'd well, have won 3-1 in a six-hour game. Sutter didn't <laughs> lose a game in his two, first two World Juniors because he didn't lose a game the next year in, uh, in Vancouver, Vancouver right. either. Justin um, Pogge. Yeah, Justin Pogge was uh, Johnny stellar. Taves. Yeah, that that was a uh, really good defensive team. Uh, didn't have the star power. Uh, no, because I don't know. I don't know, we'll, I don't know if we'll see. But a member of this team told me in that gold medal game, Brent was like, "We're going to target Ovechkin." And you remember yeah. they ended up knocking him out midway through that game and just obliterated the Russians. Well, and and I asked probably eight to ten guys on that team or around that team, who was it that hit Ovechkin? Who was the guy that put him out? And nobody knew. Yeah. And one guy saw it was Jeff Carter. No, no, it wasn't Jeff Carter. It was uh, Shea Weber. No, no, I think it was Dion Phaneuf. Because there were yeah. so many licks on him, right? Someone yeah. said, yeah, no, no, Kerry, Corey Perry caught him with one, and I think that was the one. The point was, so many guys yeah. hit Ovechkin. No one knew who landed the decisive blow, yeah. right? But poor Ovechkin, I mean, that's a tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was <laughs> tough. Do you have a favorite uh, world junior? For me... I always go back to John Slaney's goal in 92 in Saskatoon. And, uh, you know, it's shot from the point, goes through a crowd against the Russians. Yep. And like a nondescript, John Slaney was never an NHL superstar, but nope. he scored a goal that was right in my wheelhouse for watching that. That and 87, Punch Up and Pia Stani are my two most memorable yeah. World Junior memories as a kid. Yeah, no, fair. The, the, the one that... The most interesting thing about the Slaney was, and now I'm going to correct you because I think it was 91. You're right, yeah. I read I, the, I wrote the book, but I don't have all the dates right, so I could be wrong too. I think you might be right. I'm I always sure get confused 91. where it's like the, because it's New a Year crossover thing. New yeah, Year, so yeah. I think you're right. It might. Be, I just remember it was minus 30 that yeah. year because I wrote an article about it one yeah. time. But anyway, the, the thing that made that World Junior particularly uh, unique was that was the first TSN World Junior. Right. That was the first one where TSN showed every Canadian game. Yeah. Prior to that, Canada, uh, CBC, if if Canada was in the gold medal game, CBC would give it to you. If they weren't, they wouldn't. Right. It, it was might like be a, on the radio, maybe. It, yeah, right. It was yeah. usually on the radio, but it was a very tentative thing. Yeah. CBC jumped in when they felt like it, basically. Yeah. 
But that was the first year TSN made a deal with Hockey Canada. I have a, a whole chapter in the book. It was you know, quite fascinating because TSN was in its infancy. Yeah. They had nothing. They had some Blue Jays games, but not enough of them. Uh, they had all this airtime to fill. They needed CanCon. They had they needed Canadian content. They yeah. were dying for it. And then Hockey Canada came along and said, well, geez, we got the World Juniors and we got all these other championships like the... Well, it used to be the Wrigley Cup for midgets, and that's right. Yeah, right now Air the, the, Canada Cup, right, and Royal Bank Cup, Later Cup, all that used stuff. To be, uh, Women's yeah. hockey, yeah. So Air, Air Hockey Canada said, you know, geez, we sure love someone to show our stuff, and particularly the World Junior. And TSN said, well, geez, we're sitting here with all this airtime and nothing to do with it. We'll take it. So know. they were these perfect partners. So TSN comes along, and they show that very first one in in Saskatoon in '91, and and they showed all the games. Yeah, and. I remember talking to one of the guys for the book. I was talking to a, one of their business people, and he said, we were absolutely terrified of showing like a semifinal between, say, Russia and the States. Right. Like we would never show that game. And I look at that game today, semifinal between Russia and the States, that's like a 4 million viewer game. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't watch that game? Yeah. Those are great, you know, or Sweden and Finland or whoever. But back then, like it was unheard of to show non-Canada games, yeah. and even to show Canada playing all the way up against Slovakia and all those teams. Sure, was, yeah. Like there's a lot of blowouts. Oh yeah, and we didn't. It was it was a, quite a risk at the time, and now we look back and laugh. Some risk, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they did. They got there, and I mean, there's a great story about that game, that gold final game in Saskatoon where they beat Russia. Almost wasn't a gold medal game. Russia had to lose to Finland in Regina the night before. Right. And it all fell together for TSN. They got this great gold medal game. Jimmy Houston called it. John Slaney scores the late goal. You know, the crowd in Saskatoon and that yeah. big building there. Like they got a nice room yeah. there, right? That's an NHL. That Well, it was if, an if, NHL if, building. If they were, they were going to get St. Louis, yeah, it was going to be. I, I guess it's as big of an NHL building as Winnipeg's. For Winnipeg's sure. is only 15,000. Yeah, so. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, yeah. a 91. That one was a big, big, big deal. And it really shaped the way the World Junior is today. Huh. Oh, that's uh, yeah. that's awesome. There's so many tales, right? Yeah. Well, so that's what tales. I'm looking forward to uh, diving into this. Road to Gold, the untold story of Canada at the World Juniors. Um, this is, uh, I know you can order it online, um, uh, bookstores uh, everywhere right now. Yeah, Walmart, Chapters Indigo, uh, Amazon, um, I think Costco. I'm not positive. I haven't seen one yet, but... Lots. If you're looking for books, you'll find it. Yeah, it's uh, it's perfect uh, under the tree this year, and start reading it on Christmas Day in time for the games on Boxing, Boxing Day. Boxing Day. There you go, man. All right, Spec. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so yeah. much uh, for coming in. Uh, continued success, of course, at uh, Sportsnet and everything yeah. else that you got going on. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. Thanks for having me. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Got nothing to drink. How do you smile? No longer a child. Uh, there's I Got Time from Sweet Bejesus, their debut album, Policeman's Creek, uh, the official 
band and music of Sports and More, the podcast, and Sports and More Live, which you can hear Monday to Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. on 12 Ounce Sports Radio. And I always have time for Mark Spector, uh, a good guy, doesn't take himself too seriously, and uh, I'm, I'm just salivating at a, getting a, a few minutes to dive into this book. Really, really looking forward to it. So the Acme Meat Market Trivia gift card from Acme Meat Market up for grabs. You can say hi to Corey, Amanda, and their wonderful staff in the Ritchie Market in Edmonton, 9570 76th Avenue. Check out their website, acmemeatmarket.ca. Corey the Butcher, a member of Team Canada for the World Butcher's Challenge in September 2020. If you know and you can tell me the name of Mark Spector's new book. What is the name of Mark Spector's new book? If you know that, send me an email, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That is sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. If you know the answer, what is the name of Mark Spector's new book? Send me a note. And you could be going home with a gift card from Acme Meat Market. Thanks very much for tuning in today, everybody. Have yourself a great week. And uh, don't forget to tune in to Sports and More Live Monday to Friday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. on the 12-ounce Sports Radio Network. Have your great week, everybody. Playtime is over. Roly-poly, baby, don't clench your teeth. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. So do not lie and do what's right. Always have humility. Do your best to succeed.